While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Barrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app. Um, we've got a great guest to start the program, Paul Chase of the uh, Realtors Association. Hey, Paul, how are you? Good, how are you? So before we get started, um, just tell us a little bit more about um, the Realtors Association, the work that you guys do, sure. the work that you do as the president. Yeah, sure. So... Uh, the Realtor Association, the best way to explain it is we're kind of like the Chamber of Commerce for real estate agents. We okay. are a membership organization, trade trade organization. Um, we do a lot of education, a lot of advocacy work on housing. There's not really a um, there's not really a, a, a legislative group or an advocacy group for property owners. So we kind of take that lead, you know, locally, state, and around the country. So mm-hmm. you know, between education, advocacy, and um, some community work, that's you know keeps keeps us busy. So you'd sent a press release out to to me and our news organization, uh, our news director, Kate, and, and, right. and about the the Realtors Association, um, their opposition to the rent stabilization, rent control, uh, whichever term, um, rent, the Councilor Burgos rent stabilization uh, ballot question. Um, right. Can you explain your position? Sure. So, uh, you know, number one, <clears throat> I just think that um, – a non-binding referendum of a yes or no question, it really isn't going to help anything, right? I mean, I, I get the and, – and listen, I, I really like Shane a lot, um, mm-hmm. and I get what he's trying to do. We're trying to develop that conversation. I don't think we've been having the conversation. I don't think it's something that needs to be developed. We've 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 been talking about inventory problems for a long time. And whether you're renting or you're buying, it's, it's, it's all the same thing because when you don't have enough inventory, it flows down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of renters out there in New Bedford that would like to own a home, but can't because there's not enough inventory. And what does that do? That that leaves less apartments available for people that need them, right? So it, housing is housing, whether it's rental or or purchasing. So, um, you know, number one, I just feel like uh, a, ref, a non-binding referendum question really doesn't doesn't do it justice. I think we need to do more along the lines of some public input meetings. You know, we need to have all the stakeholders there. We need to have. Um, you know, tenants and landlords and not just landlords. We need mom and pop landlords and we need larger landlords. We need everybody to step up, you know, housing professionals, city housing officials and agencies to really have a, have a bigger, deeper dive. Some of the things we can control, some of it we can't, um, but certainly we should give it a shot. So what do you think in those conversations would, but, but the way I see it, you guys, you're against any kind of restriction or regulation on on the rise of rent. We do. I mean, again, it's it's just something that uh, we feel stifles um, development, and mm-hmm. um, we already have such a problem with inventory, not only in this area but all of Massachusetts. But you know, this area is the area we're focusing on. Uh, and you know, back in the '80s and early '90s, before before it went away, it it showed that it couldn't it couldn't be effective enough. Now, I get that you know there are you know, beyond what we're talking about here, there are honest to goodness problems. There are 
people out there that are struggling, right? I mean, we hear it all the time that all of a sudden the rent went up and it went mm-hmm. up a substantial amount. And that part of what we're seeing, I think, down here is a bit of a market correction. Um, I think, you know, we've been the lowest in the state for a long, long time. And I think I think two things are happening. We're, we're de- dealing with low inventory and we're dealing with a little bit of market correction. And then, of course, we get inflation, which doesn't help. So what you're saying is these are the prices that they were always supposed to be by saying market correction? Well, not that they're all, always supposed to be, but they I don't think they've moved as fast as other areas of Massachusetts over the last few years. Okay. And, and because of that, we've lagged behind a bit. Um, again, that all being said, you also can't, you know, you, you can't bump up the rent by 800 bucks on someone in two months. That's, that's not realistic either, right? So we, we do need to figure out some ways of, of well, working on this. A- anecdotally, um, that's all, it's really all I hate, you know, it's really most of what we have right now is anecdote, anecdotal evidence. But anecdotally, people are saying that rent is going up $800 to 500, uh, 800, 500, 800 to $1,000, um, uh, a month. I think we had a call yesterday, so that rent went up $600. So the Realtors Association, I imagine there's a lot of members, the Realtors Association that are landlords. Um, you know, is this something that based on this information, you, Guys, maybe want to have a conversation about why those, you know, why why those rents are going up, and and maybe, I don't know, um, if this is a problem, try to ameliorate it somehow. Right. So you know, I will say we, I'm sure we've got you know members that are landlords. You know, um, to be honest with you, and this is the first time I've thought about it. I'm not quite sure what our percentage is mm-hmm. on on landlords. I know there's a landlord association in New Bedford. Sure. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know much about it, um, but. Uh, it's, you know, it's, the, the, the issue we have again is stunting growth, right? It's a free market and the problem is if we restrict rent, it, mm-hmm. it does, it does, um, slow down development. It's just, that's not anecdotal. That's, you know, we, we saw that years ago. Um, we've seen it in study after study after study. It's, it, and it's happened in different areas where, where, um, rent control, rent stabilization still, still, Happens in different parts of the country. So, what what we don't want, what we don't want, is to restrict inventory because if we slow down on inventory, that's going to make everything even worse. Do you um, do you know what's being done to sort of solve the problem of inventory? And I mean, those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, right? You can't improve an inventory and you know try to ensure that that rent is you know that that frankly that the people who own the housing stock aren't gouging prices based on supply. Right. But again, if there were more inventory than if, if there was more supply than demand, those very same people would be forced to come down on their rents because other people would be renting other apartments and not theirs, right? So I do think, you know, that that's that that's the common premise of this whole thing. Um, as far as people needing help, I, I think we need a more robust housing voucher system. I mean that goes beyond the city level capacity, but I don't think that we're where we should be, especially with all of the aqua funds that we've been using mm-hmm. and, and that we have still available. Um, I think we need to, at least the state, you know, 
I don't know about federal, but at least on the state level, we need to look at a more robust uh, housing voucher program for folks. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, so there's, there's Section 8. You know, I know there's state and federal housing, and, and I don't know, you know, I'm not completely involved in everything there is to know about state and, and federal housing vouchers. But what I do know is that it's woefully underfunded, especially in urban areas, yeah. and I think that we need more we need more capital on that, so we need more money. And I do believe uh, with the governor coming in, I, I do think we're going to see some of that. Um, yeah, I'm actually having Lieutenant Governor Driscoll on. She's going to talk about um, some things they're trying to improve with that and, and age dip, things like that. So. And the age dip is a big one. So that's you know that's one of the talking points we do have. I mean, the age dip has a $10 million funding source right now for, mm-hmm. for all of Massachusetts. And the age dip is what's responsible for helping incentivize developers. Now, some some people well, well, I actually want to get to HDIP. Okay. Because we got to actually explain to people yep. what the acronym is at some point because yep. we're going to be using these terms. But um, before we get there, I, I, I kind of got off track. You're talking sure. about housing vouchers. Yeah. So I just, uh, it just, I just, I just think that we should have, uh, we should look at the opera funds and we should look at ways to bolster at least the state housing voucher system that we have. Uh, again, I think it's outgrowing the population and if we continue to grow. We have to continue to grow the voucher system as well. So, but that's just one small piece of the issue. Um, 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Okay, let's talk about HGIP now. That's the Housing Development Incentive Program for people who don't know. It's supposed to help gateway cities like New Bedford specifically. Sure. Um, tell us more about what HGIP does and what's the problem with HGIP right now. Sure. So HDIP is a funding mechanism for developers to, like you said, in gateway cities to to um, construct property, uh, whether it be housing, multifamily, um, but it's primarily in the multifamily side. You know, there there are different types of programs. HDIP happens to be one of them, right? Um, but it's it's like I said, it's funded right now at ten million dollars. It's been that way for a while. And uh, when you think about ten million dollars in funding for the entire state of Massachusetts, it's just it's not even close, right? Of course. So uh, what we do see the governor's proposal is to fund it fifty million dollars in the first year, and then thirty million dollars beyond that, you know, in, in in following years. And that is a much better proposal than what we're seeing. And what that will do is that will allow developers to uh, get grant money or tax incentives in order to build at a more affordable cost, which okay. every time they can build at a more affordable cost, then it makes the property more affordable when it's sold or when it's rented. And, you know, I, there are a lot of naysayers out there that talk about, well, we, I don't know about funding developers, but the, the realization is, is costs right now are extremely expensive to, to build. And so what happens is you see these McMansions out there, right? They're, they're building very, very large homes for two reasons. Number one, because communities around us, we'll talk about that if you want later. Yes. Uh, but number two is because they have to be able to afford to make the money back on the property. So, you know, they build these very large homes or very expensive uh, multifamilies that cost a lot of money to sell. And when it costs a lot of money to sell, they, you know, someone that's coming in to, to invest is going to have to buy it and rent it out for a certain amount. So we're always told about how valuable of an investment real estate is. And it seems like a lot of these developers and developments are pretty well funded. But you're telling me now and you're telling the audience that they don't have enough money. Um, can you just explain that a little bit? Like, I get it. I understand this HDIP could have a little bit more money for grant funding, but why do developers need more money? So developers, 
you know, we we think of developers as these massive, you know, these massive companies, and there are some of them, right? Yeah, of course. But, but there are more, like everything else in this country, there are more smaller developers than there are larger ones. The larger ones, they'll always find capital. They won't have a problem. It's the smaller ones, and I say small as in some of the ones we deal with in, in, around this area, um, that, again, they – they're they're trying their business model. I've I've talked to actual developers that have said that their business model literally does not stand up to building a certain type of um, multifamily or or housing complex um, to the cost of what it's gonna they're gonna try to sell it for. The market doesn't doesn't substantiate what the cost is, and when you get to that point, then you have to start looking at incentives. You know, just like we do for everything else. So it essentially saves them on the cost so they can make a profit. Sure. Okay. Yeah. We're speaking with Paul Chase. He's the, uh, the president of the Realtors Association. Um, so, Paul, uh, actually, I think this is probably a good time for a break, and then we can talk about some of the other things that you may uh, that you alluded to. So let's just take a break. We'll be right back. Uh, this is South Coast Tonight. Hey, welcome back. We're here with the CEO of the Realtors Association, Paul Chase. So, Paul, um, we were talking a little bit. You alluded to this. You said that there are uh, developers, because of the limited access to available grant funding, are building uh, McMansions, right? Right. Can you just uh, describe what McMansions are and why they're they're being built in lieu of, um, you know, more uh, effective uh, structures to help the housing crisis? Sure. So. You know, again, a part of it is because uh, they need to they need to justify their costs, and, and they do they do need to make money. So, um, yeah. you know, that's part of. It. But the other part, of, the other the other issue is, and, and this is another area that we need to look at again. If we're if we're serious about housing, uh, I really think we need to put together some type of South Coast Housing Coalition because okay. we need to start looking at the surrounding communities and rural areas. And I and I think there are a lot of folks in those com- in those communities that are starting. To to come on board with the realization that we need more housing, not only in New Bedford, but overall, because if not, their kids in the surrounding towns are going to have the same problems. So Mm -hmm. these McMansions, they're being built because a lot of communities have these zoning issues, and these zoning issues contain two or three acre lot requirements. And, um, you know, there's a whole other area that we, we have as far as topic when you build those and how it hurts sewer systems and it builds up public schools and you got to have the resources. But the bottom line is we need more housing. We need more housing in this area all around. And I think the communities around New Bedford, around Fall River also have to, to look at that as well. Like I said, I do think the time has come, and I think we're seeing more legislative support, uh, both on the local and state level, for some of that. And I think it needs to be a conversation that is had with our surrounding communities. I am not saying to make many New Bedfords or many Fall Rivers, and uh, but I do think at some point the realization is going to come that we need denser building. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I was. I was beating the drum on for uh, when this was being proposed that the Rogers School be made into housing, uh, least market rate housing, and uh, there were some reactions that ranged from NIMBY to racist. Uh, and so I think you know I think there is uh, some like a reckoning that the surrounding towns have to come to. And like you said, it, because it's going to become an issue, 
that's going to impact Fairhaven, Dartmouth, New Bedford, et cetera. Sure, sure. And, it, and like you said, it, it ranges from everything from public housing to multifamily to single-family homes. Mm-hmm. We can't we can't forget that, again, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat myself, but inventory is inventory is inventory. There, there's probably 50 or 60 people that I know of in the New Bedford area that rent that would like to buy, but they can't because there's no place for them to go, right? Mm-hmm. And those 50 or 60 apartments would then be available for people that need to pr- need to rent and if those apartments were available and people are renting and other apartments are available well now we're starting to talk about market right and again if there's more inventory than the needed then you can drive down costs not up right so it all it all works the same way whether you're talking about building houses the other thing i you know i i i understand but it's it it just it i it doesn't make sense to me is we, we, we have this conversation about affordable housing versus market rate housing. And it's another area that I think we sometimes forget. And that is we should be, we should be working on all of it, not one particular area because market rate housing brings up people, you know, again, it, people that are in there. It used to be you, you bought your starter home. And then you'd move into a moderate home. You'd mm-hmm. probably move into a different home before you retire. And then you move out and you get something small again, right? Sure. And and that allows other people to move up. It works the same way in, in, in apartments. So you get folks that can only afford a certain thing. And then, you know, they get older or whatever the case may be. And they want to move into a different apartment. Or they want to buy a house. And then that apartment's available. So whether it's single-family homes, multifamily public housing or even single family homes with accessory dwelling units like um you know like in law apartments it's all needed down here we have to look at it all in all in order to solve the inventory problem accessory dwelling units is is, is something shane burgos brought up he, he brought up it brought it up last night um and it uh he brought it up previously on, on this program but it's something he's proposed um to help ameliorate this housing situation can you just explain what accessory do- dwelling units are yeah sure they i mean for the basic term they are the um uh um well, in-law apartments, like sure. in-law apartments or, you know, little little um, apartment areas within a home. Mm-hmm. So we see them a lot in single-family homes. They have a small uh, thing upstairs, small bathroom and, you know, maybe eating kitchen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Popular in this area, um, but again... It's 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 another area that probably don't have enough of, and if we continue to build houses, uh, some of those houses should be built with ADUs. They're called ADUs because you're solving more of the problem. Because there are a lot. What what happens? You have a lot of um, families that live together. You've got a, a mother or a father or aunt, uncle, grandparent sure. that can't really take care of themselves anymore, or choose that they don't want to live in that house, but they don't want to be in an apartment by themselves, so they live in an in-law, yeah. and that opens up that that apartment as well so well and and i think the issue uh is with those uh in new bedford and and even elsewhere is that the zoning restrictions are too tight right again i think it's areas that we all have to look at we have to take a look there's no one piece to this puzzle there's a lot of different areas that need to be looked at so um one of the conversations we had off the air is about um you think that New Bedford's residency requirement for um, city employees uh, is actually having an adverse effect on the housing situation. Well, okay, so this is you know aside from the uh, the policy uh, advocacy that I do for for the association, my personal opinion is that residency requirements are antiquated. I don't think there's a need for it in New Bedford. Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons why. 
But when we're particularly talking about a housing crisis, to force people to, to live in the city of New Bedford when there's a housing crisis doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So if uh, if they want to live elsewhere, you know, there might be a select few people that are on call that need to physically be in the city of New Bedford for one reason or another. Even they, I would say, I would venture to say that if they were in Dartmouth or Kushner or Fahaven, it really doesn't matter, right? Of course. Um, but that there's another area. I mean... If you waive the residency, not even waive, we need to get rid of it, to be honest with you, but uh, we get rid of the residency requirement, then there are more people to choose whether they want to live there or not. To me, it's a prideful thing. I enjoy living in New Bedford. I want to be in New Bedford. I like I like my house. I like where I live. I like where I can walk to. Um, but different people like different things. Some people like to be out in the farm. He lives in Ward 5, by the way. <laughs> so I live near the Butler Park. And I moved there 15 years ago. I said, oh, this is great. We're going to walk around the park every day. I think we walked around the park 10 times in my last 15 years. So, But um, it, really, it, it should be the choice of the person, right? And, mm-hmm. I mean, to de-incentivize people, uh, first of all, you're not going to get, you know, your best and brightest necessarily. Yeah. I'm all for... If you've got someone within the city that is looking for the job and they're the best candidate for the job. Priority high or something. Uh, absolutely. But, sure. but as far as requiring residents to move into the city when we already have a housing crisis, yeah. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So uh, pivoting back to some of the uh, policy advocacy that you're doing uh, with the Realtors Association, um, what other um, uh, policy areas are you guys advocating for that we haven't covered yet? Uh, so uh, on housing, you're talking about specifically yeah, the stabilization or just overall in general? You're talking about stabilization? Whatever you want. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're, constantly, we're constantly advocating on um, zoning. Zoning is a... Like we've mentioned a couple of times, zoning is a big a big issue in in housing development, and uh, it doesn't just happen in New Bedford; it happens in, in the communities. There's some state legislation that that recently happened um, a year ago, year and a half ago, with the economic bill, uh, which had the MBTA community. So uh, that was that was good. But uh, we have to take a little bit more of a look at it. Now, New Bedford, Fall River will be eventually looking at that down the road because of the rail as well. So the MBTA community's uh, bill is about um, transit-oriented development around yeah. the so- because you were you're a big advocate for the the rail. You were you were uh, the head of the Rail to Boston Coalition. Um, there is an M- uh, how MBTA housing law. Um, basically saying that you need to increase stock around where the the train is going to be? So it doesn't require you to increase stock. What it requires is the city to allow the option for developers to develop. So there's a difference. So it's not the state coming in saying you have to do what looks like this or what looks like that. What it says is you have to allow developers to develop areas if they want to within a certain within a certain radius of the rail, and they're allowed to do so within certain parameters. Okay. You've got to put those parameters together. So the city basically it says a city or a town around that uh, radius of where the rail is going to be the the, the stop. Um, they can't obstruct certain development. Right. They need to put together zoning or they need to have some some systems in place to um, promote. F- foster an environment yes. for that growth. Yes. That, that's what it is. It's, it has nothing to do with requiring anybody to do anything. It's just getting the cities to put something on the books that allows developers 
to allow it to be a little bit more developer friendly. So like maybe for instance, uh, the one near King, the, the stop near Kings Highway, right? You have, mm-hmm. you have those old mills over there, right? And one would think it makes sense at some point, maybe we develop those mills into market rate apartments, right? Again, mm-hmm. it can be maybe a mixture of market rate, affordable, whatever the case may be. The title's not important because whatever apartments it is, people will move into and there'll be more apartments readily available for other people. So whatever sure. it is. Uh, but the problem is, is Currently, right now, there could be some zoning restrictions there that don't allow it. Uh, I, I don't know specifically that area, but I'm just using it as an example. So this MBTA communities piece would um, encourage the city of New Bedford to do specific transit-oriented uh, zoning reform or allow for developers to develop there uh, if it's not already the case. I'm not sure if it is, but if it isn't, that would be like one example. I think there's some deadlines that... MBTA communities have to meet. Like this is required by state law, right? So they can lose some state funding if it is not filed. So the the Interesting. yeah the zoning piece has to be filed. And uh, don't quote me on this. I I believe that most of them have actually done it throughout the state. Yeah. I think there's there's only a couple of holdouts at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that doesn't mean development. That just means that they've filed with the state a plan on transit-oriented development. Now I will say New Bedford. Um, the city planner's office has been working for a long time on transit-oriented development. I mean, God knows we've been waiting for this thing for 25 years, so there's been a lot of conversations about what it could look like around the areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've done a good job with that, but uh, I think, you know, again, we need to look at everything and, you know, whether that be allowing for more ADUs, like Councilor Burgo said, I'm not sure. We just need to take a look at it. It's funny, I was reaching out to some uh, transportation coalitions or whatever that I usually had on the show yeah. uh, to ask them about the MBTA housing law and no one responded to me. So I'm glad we stumbled upon that topic and uh, and uh, I was a little bit more enlightened by that. Uh, we're speaking with Paul uh, Chase. He is the uh, CEO of the CEO of the Realtors Association. Yeah, I, I have a president, so I don't want to upset him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always want to make sure we get the titles right here. Um, so uh, tell you what, we're going to take another break, and then we'll be right back here on South Coast Tonight. 1420 WBSM is now also on 99.5 FM. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events like a date with my wife or going out together with my family and friends, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Vectix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, motorsports, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can help. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Find out how by visiting www.vettix.org. That's www.vettix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. The next disaster is coming. The time to get ready is now. Make a plan. Identify meetup locations and people you'll need to contact. Put your contact list in your wallet, on your phone, and somewhere visible in your home. Build a kit. Store enough food and water for three days. Don't forget your pets. 
and consider buying a pre-made kit. Keep at least seven days of medication on hand. Work with your pharmacist and insurance company to secure the extra doses. Make copies of important documents. Keep them on your phone, in the cloud, or on a USB stick. Stay informed. Learn about local hazards. Take courses in CPR and first aid. And sign up for local alert systems. An early warning can give you the time you need to prepare for a fast-moving disaster. Be ready. Learn more at americares.org slash send us in. My name is Juanita Segura, and I was diagnosed in November of 2014 with non-small cell lung cancer. The first time I heard about biomarker testing was actually my husband. He just started researching about lung cancer. And I found out about biomarker testing, and I'm like, why not? Let's try it. I'm Dr. Jorge Gomez, thoracic medical oncologist at the Mount Sinai Hospital. Comprehensive biomarker testing is looking for either substances in the blood or mutations in some of the genes of the cancer cells that can help us identify special types of lung cancer that can be treated with what we call targeted therapies. Letting my children know brought all of us a sense of hope to give them hope that mom is going to be around to see you grow up. And I promised them that. Ask your doctor about how comprehensive biomarker testing before treatment may help you and your doctor decide on the best treatment for you. Visit noonemiss.org for more. A public service message from Longevity Foundation. WBSM isn't just a broadcast. It's also a podcast. Get all of our podcasts at WBSM.com, the WBSM app, or just search WBSM on your favorite podcast provider. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm here with Paul Chase. He's the CEO of the Realtors Association. We were talking a lot about the rent stabilization question. We were talking about some of the solutions to the housing issue and ways to improve stock. Uh, we also stumbled upon the MBTA, uh, 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 the MBTA housing development law um, that we I learned at the break. New Bedford's actually exempt from uh, because the law was written before it got the train. Right. Right. The legislation would have to expand to include New Bedford and Florida in the future. Okay. But we, one of the things I think is important to bring up is because everybody's finding new, like there are some people that just don't like the train and are finding new ways to blame it for a problem. And so one of the ways they're doing it now is to say that the rise in rents are because of South Coast Rail. Um, can you explain why your position, why that's incorrect? Sure. So, you know, rail provides opportunity. And one of the areas that uh, I was going to talk about as far as solving the issue, right? Again, we talked about different ways of, of trying to come up with bits and pieces. And one of them needs to be uh, we need to do a better job of raising our residents' median income. And mm -hmm. one way to do that is education and training. Another way is providing them opportunities. Not yep. every not every job in the city of New Bedford is a great wage paying job. And so South Coast Rail is supposed to help with that. You know, we're supposed yeah. to that that rail is supposed to help our residents uh, that want to 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 work outside of the area but live in the area that opportunity. And it also helps to bring in development. Yeah. So. Um, South Coast Rail is certainly not a reason why the rents are going up. We've been seeing the trend for a few years. The Realtor Association for over 10 years has been advocating for more inventory for housing. I mean, I think it was last year. Last year, we, we had a meeting with uh, Housing Secretary Keneally. And housing permits from 1960 to 1990, there were 900,000 
900,000 housing permits. From 1990 to 2020, there were 440,000 housing permits. Yeah. Population went up, housing permits dropped, and uh, we've been we've been talking about it for years now. So, yeah, South Coast Rail is is not the reason why rents are going up. It's not the reason why in um, um, market uh, rate housing or even houses themselves are going up, but it is one piece of the solution. So um, we're speaking with Paul Chase, the CEO of the Realtors Association. So uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on, um, and it's an issue I'm going to spend a lot of time on uh, until hopefully this question ballot question gets squashed, um, is the uh, potential repeal of the Community Preservation Act funding in New Bedford. Can you explain um, why it's important to keep that uh, funding um, for issues like housing? Sure. So the CPA, I will say when, when the CPA was first being introduced, uh, wasn't a huge advocate for it, right? Again, we, we got to be careful about taxes and we got to be careful about stunting development. Mm-hmm. But the CPA now has been in for, it's been in place for several years now and it's proven to actually help projects. Mm-hmm. And the biggest issue, the biggest um, upside to the CPA is obviously the matching funds that we get with the state. So yes, it might be that that uh, percentage on your property tax bill that uh, you, know, you, like $40. You, you might sure. not like. It's a little bit more than that, uh, but yeah. but it's still Depends. but but it's still matching funds, and and you know we need the matching fund. It's kind of like right. It's kind of like four hundred one k. Like who wouldn't who wouldn't if they're in if if they're working in a company that's going to give them money towards the retirement? Who wouldn't put money into the retirement to get matching funds? Right. It's it's an investment. So it works the same way. Um, we and we, and we use it for everyday things. I mean, we use it for housing development. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use it uh, to uh, fix things as well. I you had mentioned. Uh, uh, Rod, was, no, no uh, when I, so I sat on the uh, community preservation committee here in Fairhaven, and one of the things we did was, like, aside from the park stuff, which yeah. is really cool, um, and some housing stuff, we actually fixed the windows of Fairhaven High School. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's actual infrastructure and and you know um, expenses that the CPA goes to in addition to help help funding. And in New Bedford, it's gone to some pretty significant housing projects. You know, as far as projects that 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 couldn't be developed without additional funding through things like the CPA, the HDIP, historical tax credits. Mm-hmm. They all play into that that uh, bolstering of house of houses that might not be able to afford to be, you know, reproduced or reconstructed if if not. Well, you know, too that there are certain organizations that grant funding like the Mass Cultural Council, something like that. And they'll look at whether or not there is investment in the community from the community in a certain project, uh, even in a housing project. And one of the investments that are one of the few investments that you can show is community preservation. So aside from the state matching, the the leveraged funds, just more than a dollar for dollar match. So, right. And I, and I often, I, you know, I often wonder. I, this is the cynical part of me, but mm-hmm. I often wonder if it goes away. Does it really go away? Yeah, <laughs> or, right. or does something take its place anyway? And if that's the case, I'd rather have the matching funds. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. Um, we're going to take one more break, and then we're going to finish out, finish out the hour strong here with Paul Chase. Welcome back. We're here with Paul Chase, um, the CEO of the Realtors Association. So, uh, kind of, what do you got any? What else do you have? I'm, I'm kind of I'm out. Of. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of it, right? We have. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think when it comes down to rent stabilization, it's just I, 
again, going back to my original comments, I, I just mm-hmm. anything that stunts growth or doesn't provide opportunity for development worries me in this area because we need more inventory than what we have and in this area, meaning New Bedford and the surrounding communities. So um, I get we shouldn't be sitting here just talking about what doesn't work. We need to talk about what does work. And I think, again, I think there are a lot of bits and pieces to that. There's no one magic bullet, but we talked about some of it today. We talked about how we need some zoning reform sure. in, in not only in the city of New Bedford, but the surrounding area uh, to uh, really produce more housing and and um public housing and multifamilies and accessory dwelling units. We also talked about how we need um, better training and education for our residents so we can build up that median income Yeah, because um, I think that's important as well. And then there are areas like the HDIP on the state level. You know, it's it's amazing. A lot of people say, well, those things aren't in our control, but they, they're they not in our control, but it's our responsibility to advocate for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I would hope the city council does that. I do see them do that from time to time, send the letter up to the state house. I know it's just a letter, it's a formality, but again, we're all, we're all taxpaying residents of the state, and if there are enough voices heard, things happen. Things like the HDIP program are important. Like you said, the CPA, to continue that as well, so that's important as well. And, um, you know, areas that uh, that we need to continue to work on um, to, to provide something other than than rent stabilization and at the same time again like i said at the same time we need to look into some some um increase in the voucher program um at least in the state level i don't know about the federal level but uh there's plenty of there's still plenty of arpa money that we could be using uh to help folks right now transition through a very difficult time because it's not just housing right we know Costs money for everything right now, so housing is just one area. So we, you know, we need to help the residents. You're going to run for city council. I, I, I have to ask yeah, you on I the know. air. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I have to say that I, I honestly don't know yet. I, you know, it, it really is a family decision, and it's March, and we 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 haven't really talked about it all that much. Sure. One hundred percent truth. We haven't really talked about it that much. At some point, we will. But uh, right now, you know, I'm doing some stuff with the redevelopment authority sure. as, as the chair of redevelopment, and uh, uh, I I like it. It's uh, you know we're, we're working on redeveloping the redevelopment authority, and once yes. once we do that, uh, then hopefully you know that that will that will help us to redevelop more in the city of New Bedford, which is again uh, important for the residents. Might be a good way to make an impact and avoid the heat. <laughs> well, I, don't I don't think there's any such thing as avoiding the heat in the city, but, yeah, right. um, but I, it certainly is an area of interest of mine. And I, I have a good, I have a good board there. They're uh, great members, and uh, I'm looking for. I, I always look forward to a challenge. And the redevelopment authority has been kind of dormant for many, many years. So working on the redevelopment authority, so we can get to the point where we're developing more, is something that's that's just been a passion of mine in the last couple of years what do you mean by redevelop the redevelopment authority so it's it's just been it's been kind of dormant uh you know there hasn't been a whole lot of work done in the redevelopment authority for for many years mm-hmm. and uh so because of that it's just kind of been kind of been sitting there so they haven't done any developing you know so right. uh we've gotten to the point where we're kind of getting our ducks in a row our you know, financials together and where, you know, we want to start looking at the opportunities to take some of the properties that we have in, in the inventory or 
maybe you know in the future inventory to um, redevelop because that's what the redevelopment authority is supposed to do. It's supposed to provide redevelopment opportunities for the city of New Bedford, and redevelopment opportunities will help our residents. Right? It'll help. It'll help the look of the city of New Bedford when we redevelop buildings. It'll also help the residents of New Bedford develop, uh, depending on what that redevelopment is. Right? Um, so it's it's in its early stages, but we're uh, you know we're we're excited about the the future of the redevelopment authority and where it's going so where can people go to learn more about the realtors association uh well we have a website www.rasem that's rasm.realtor it's realtor association of southeastern mass uh we're a membership organization we don't list or sell real estate we don't do any of that stuff um but we do provide education for our real estate members so they can be better real estate agents and we do a lot of advocacy work and we also do some mediation too so uh 